one place in our relationship that I know that there was a disconnect in meaning versus significance has happened through my going to college. And that is the way that I have talked about home. Hello and welcome to Hug and a High Five. It's a mom and daughter podcast journal. I'm Ingrid, I'm the daughter. And I'm Vicky, I'm the mom. I'm trying to figure out how to be an adult. I'm trying to figure out how to parent an adult and live as an adult who is more than a parent. I live in New York City. And I live in Los Angeles. And this is Hug and a High Five. Hi, Mom. Hello, Ingrid. Welcome to week eight of quarantine. That's right. Or nine, something like that. Honestly, who knows? Who knows what day of the week it is? (laughs) Doesn't matter. That's right. Well, today we thought we'd talk about meaning versus significance. You mentioned this to me yesterday because you had come across it somewhere, meaning versus significance. And you said that I spent like weeks in high school working on this question, which I didn't remember at all. Yeah. So it really landed with me when I heard this. I was listening to a podcast, which we have time to do a lot of now, and it's one of our our pastimes. But we also, we've always liked listening to podcasts. So I started listening to this new, to me, podcast called The Bible Project. And they were talking about uh, the parables of Mm. Jesus. And they were talking about understanding them in light of the author's meaning and then the significance to us. So the meaning has to do with what the author intended, meant when they wrote it. Okay. And the significance has to do with the meaning I take from it. The reason they chose to use different words is because it can get confusing. But um, I've heard other people use the word significance before. So the significance, what you have to say to me. So it's like a sender versus receiver in the communication world. Right. Uh, So the object is in the air and then the significance that it has on the receiver is is what we take away. So in our lives, especially often as we read things, if in reading scripture, we land on the significance and sometimes forget about the intended meaning because it's easier and yeah. it means something personal to us. We can do something about it. But then we often take the meaning out of context and we get the meaning wrong. So uh, it's kind of like, interestingly, when I work with my clients in processing skills and comprehension, if Mm -hmm. they miscall a word, if they misread a word, like they add letters to it or they omit letters to it from Mm -hmm. it, then the meaning of the author gets lost And so the significance of that word to the reader has changed and they'll get a different picture in their mind of what it is. So one of the comments that I often say to my clients is make sure your mouth says what your eyes see. (laughs) Just in checking for accuracy. So that's something I was thinking about. But my story with you is when you were a sophomore in high school, you took for about three weeks mm-hmm. AP World History. Yes. A- with a famous yeah. teacher at the school you went to. And he yes, he was, was known as being the hardest teacher ever. Yeah, 
the hardest teacher at the school, but the best teacher. Uh, the most rigorous, we'll shall call him. Yeah. <laughs> and he had you make all these note cards with world history facts. And he had you write the meaning on one side and the significance of that on another side. Oh my and gosh. I, Even earlier today when you mentioned that, I didn't really know what you meant. And now I'm having flashbacks to sitting in the library doing that and like writing the word. Oh, yes. I remember that now. Yeah, it was such a challenge for you because we couldn't initially understand the difference between the meaning and the significance of historical facts. So that yes. was a stretch. And I think once you could like kind of figure it out, like the the meaning is like literally the definition that you get from the back of the book, but the significance in in history, you you have to work with your understanding of the rest of history. Which yeah, if you that don't teacher, have a lot of hand understanding yet is a little bit tricky to like, you know, take uh-huh. something from ancient Greece and be like, oh, and I see how that has like changed the way we live our lives in the Western world today. That teacher was really specific about the significance that you placed on historical facts because yeah. um, you couldn't just like you could shrug your shoulders and you'll say, well, I don't know that that has any significance to me, but he was weaving a very intricate web of yeah. the significance of decisions that the are The reason, made. of course, that I only took it for three weeks is because I found it to be too much. <laughs> I transferred <laughs> out I in order came to do to the my musical. Senses. In one of my, uh, that's true. You got, you got a big role in a small musical, so everybody's part was important. You became Cinderella and in Into the Woods. And we literally and, were like, it's it's a history class or the musical. Yeah, it's one or the other. And in one of my more flexible and proud parenting moments, I let my desire for you to be a history scholar go. Mm. <laughs> and I said, you know what? At the end of the day, being Cinderella in this musical is going to mean more t- to your life than staying in this history class because yeah. you're not going to be a historian. <laughs> Thank you for knowing that, even then. Yeah, it's kind of a, a, that's a flexible parenting moment that I had to learn. And it's good for parents to learn, like, what are my desires and what is my child's desires and the differentiation we have to come to. Yeah, it's pretty big. Which is most of parenting an adult. Recognizing, I have these desires and you have different desires Hmm. and kind of letting sorting them out and letting them be. Well, yeah. And not not being too precious about it. So in our personal lives, like the significance I place on the decisions that you make is important. And I sometimes- was going to say, that's probably a, a big one. I think an easy, tangible way to think about the difference between meaning and significance has to do in like gift giving, where I could, I could, you know, think that something meant a lot to me, you know, I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time writing a, a deep letter, let's say, and it just means like I've put a lot of meaning and heart into it and you could take it and read it and be like, Oh, thanks. Like, right. Throw it out. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but then vice versa, if it's in decisions, I'm sure that there are decisions over the last few years that I've made that I didn't know you would put more significance on. You know, like I was just making the decision and then you probably could have felt like, oh, 
you know, hurt by it or sad about it or like it was a big deal and I didn't think about it as a big deal. Yeah. It helps if uh, as adults we can understand each other's intentions and be honoring of each other in that way and say, oh, I think that, that the meaning Ingrid would have in this would be significant. So I want to treat it with that. I want to treat it with honor. Hmm. I was thinking about that also in relation to you just read Harry Potter. I just finished Harry Potter this week. And how did you come across meaning and significance in Harry Potter? Oh, man. Well, so this is so funny. I feel like there should be a spoiler alert here. But then also, like, everyone knows Harry Potter and I'm late to the party. (laughs) So... (laughs) I don't know. Just know that that's going to happen. Reading Harry Potter now is a little bit like, of course, like if you were going to watch Star Wars for the first time now, Mm -hmm. like you probably know what the big spoiler alert is in Star Wars. I generally knew what was going to happen through Harry Potter, but I didn't know any of the specifics. And boy, was it so beautiful. I have not had a lot of sleep this week because I've read (laughs) it feverishly. Um, But it's beautiful. Um, I was thinking about, it is is really helpful in actually a book like Harry Potter to talk about meaning and significance because there are a lot of tangible things, especially in the latter half of the series, that both Harry and Voldemort are looking for. Mm -hmm. But they um, need them for different reasons and they have different understandings of them. Mm. A really simple example, though, Harry Potter related is the house elves. Do you know about the house elves, Mom? Do you remember Dobby? Yeah, yeah, with the sock. Yes, a sock or any piece of clothing is has so little significance to us as humans and to the wizards of the wizarding world. It's mm-hmm. it's a sock, but the significance of a sock to Dobby literally meant the difference between his freedom and his enslavement. Mm. So. The reason that that's important, that the sock is important, is because a house elf is always enslaved to their the family that they have like been born into until they're given a piece of clothing, and that piece of clothing is their freedom, and then they're a free elf. There's very few free elves because the family members are really, really careful to only give them jobs that don't have to do with clothing, hmm. even down to a sock or a dish towel or whatever. So they actually all wear these like gross little towels over their bodies as togas. Mm. Um, and there is a there's a little part in the middle of the series where Hermione is really fired up about house elf rights, and <laughs> she makes a whole bunch of hats for the house elves to just be cleaning and happen to pick up and find, which will immediately make them free because they've found a piece of clothing. It doesn't have to belong to the owner? Technically, the way it would work is that the owner would give the the piece of clothing to the house elf. In the case of Hermione's hats, the house elves belonged to Hogwarts, so they could find a hat any place in Hogwarts and that would give them freedom. That's the really easy example. The The deeper example is, of course, all of the horcruxes and hallows. Voldemort wants to live forever. He creates all these horcruxes, which splits his soul, mm-hmm. etc. Mm. But Voldemort's greatest downfall is that he doesn't pay attention to things he doesn't care about. And one of the things he doesn't care about because he can't comprehend it is love. Any, mm. Anything with that sort of goodness to it. They're the only way that you can get all three of those things to make you invincible, the three hallows. Mm and have them really work for you is if you do it for the good of other people. So Voldemort spends a lot of the last book looking for 
the Elder Wand because he thinks that it will make him invisible. Like the, when you kill someone with the Elder Wand, you're supposed to win every battle. Mm. But he doesn't know that it's a part of the Hallows. He just thinks it's the wand. So yes, he gets the meaning of the Elder Wand, but he doesn't understand its deeper significance. And Harry does. So when Harry gets the Elder Wand, he understands the significance of its power with the two other Hallows, and it's like it's deeper magic. Hmm. That makes sense. That meaning and significance is so crucial, and what makes a good story, yeah. especially what makes kind of a good mystery, because part of the Harry Potter, in addition to just being a story, it was kind of a mystery for the whole thing. It totally is. Every single one is them figuring, like, puzzling through how to get to the next thing. Yeah. That's a puzzle. It's a puzzlement. A puzzlement. <laughs> That's a good way to think of stories, if you can make it into a puzzle. Hmm. I'm sure meaning and significance is also the basis of every misunderstanding. So much of story is communication, as so much of life is communication, and that is is misrepresenting meaning or significance on either end. Yes, that's true. Which, working with the clientele that I often work with, autism spectrum, ADHD, it's, it's interesting. People mm. that have hypersensitivity don't have a lot of delay, so sometimes they're like their brain fires faster. Yeah. So they can come to have hypersensitive reactions to what they see so even helping them to understand that somebody else's meaning might be different than the significance they're placing on it yeah considering being other centered and we've Mm. shared this before this uh, bible verse do not look only to your own interests but also to the interests of other people because that is crucial in helping a person with adhd have inhibition control so that they don't just have the knee-jerk reactions because hmm. our bodies will react when we don't feel safe. So right. a person with ADHD, if they don't feel safe, they're going to react really fast because they have placed a significance that something somebody has said is making them unsafe or insecure or something like that. Interesting. Just loving people patiently, I think. We... we I study so much about the brain and it's often topped down versus in the body up to the brain. But kids, as they grow, don't operate top down. They operate from the body up mm. <laughs> first because that's the part that's developed. Body up. Well, and it's, it might be a little cyclical, like technically the body or technically the brain has given the body the impulse to do it. Yeah. But yeah, they don't have the skills yet to understand what they're doing or to reflect upon their their feelings before they act so then they have to reflect after their actions and be like hmm, what just happened there yeah a better way to describe it would be like the lower part of the brain versus the upper brain the downstairs brain mm-hmm. versus the upstairs brain to quote the tina Payne bryce and dan siegel books whole brain child yeah in the podcast i was listening to on the bible project yeah. they were talking about the parables and they were talking about the parable of the dishonest manager they said we can often place significance on insignificant things okay according to the meaning of the author the yeah the manager story is that one of the ones with like the gold and talons and things no that story it's luke 16 and it's where the manager the boss says to his manager you have been dishonest and you're gonna lose your job wait wait the boss says to his manager yeah so the very top person 
I forgot what he's called, uh, says to, we'll call him the king. The king says to his subordinate? Yeah, says to his subordinate, okay. you've been dishonest and you're going to lose your job. Okay. That manager s- decides, oh, that's going to be a problem. So he goes to <laughs> all of the people that owe him money and he said, you owed me 80 pieces of money. I'm going to make that only 50. You owed me right. 30 pieces of money. I'm going to make that only 10. Whatever. I'm not saying it exactly. But he okay. He sure. negotiates right. down with the people. And it's Jesus that's telling this story. Right. And it's kind of a mysterious story because he says right out from the top that it's a dishonest manager. But Jesus praises him. The significance that the guys from the Bible Project said is that the characters in the story are what we are supposed to pay attention to. Not all the little fine other details that can sometimes... Not like how many talents and what is the money supposed to be and... Yeah. Sometimes can get distracting. So he said, the point about this is that Jesus was praising the man for holding relationships higher than money. Oh my goodness. Rather than like extorting money out of people, he was recognizing that if I'm going to lose my job, which the king already said was going to happen to me, I need to make sure that I have good relationship. And Jesus was kind of praising that because he he said you can't serve two masters, both God and money. I've never understood that before. I've never had that explained so clearly. And and it pointed out that the characters in the story are where we are to find the significance. And, and that was kind of the intent of the author and the meaning of Jesus. Which makes so much more sense. Like that is the point of anything pretty much Jesus does is like, look to me, not the law. You know, like, yes, I created the law, but it's about knowing who I am. It's about relationship always. Exactly. But you're right. As soon as you told that story, I immediately was like, well, he's the dishonest manager. So what's the problem here? You know, like, is he trying to wheel in a little further? Is he like... Yeah, so people twist it so much. And and, uh, these guys with the Bible Project are very strict in saying, when Jesus talks, Mm -hmm. you have to think about the characters in his parables. Yeah. Because the characters are where we are to find his meaning and place our significance. Yay. I was really enlightened by that. Because sometimes in my life, I have described myself as placing the task above the relationship. Yeah. Easy to do. Just because I want to finish something. And because our culture is so task-oriented. Our culture is very much just... Right. And I'm I'm kind of hoping less, like it's becoming a little less so, maybe with the, the like all of the movements for self-care and all those things. But even then, I don't know, there's like a nice long list of actions that you're supposed to do and then post about in order to show that you've self-cared. So I don't know. (laughs) We are trying to encourage thinking about other people as well and doing things for other people. So I I do like that. Right, right. And just this whole time of these eight weeks of trying to do things a little bit more slowly and find new ways to do things. That's what really highlights... How much we need relationship. Yeah. Yeah, because people are struggling so much with isolation. The way people are finding to be the most resilient and feel the best is when they do things for other people, when they maintain those relationships, kind of go out of their way. My 
uncle who lives here and is a doctor said that he was reading things about another doctor um, was talking about how much she didn't like the term social distancing. Oh. Which is our term for keeping six feet apart at all times. Because she said that's actually not at all what we want to do. We don't want a social distance because social has to do with interpersonal um, relationship yeah. and interpersonal things which is true and we've made a few jokes friends and I at work about like I'm going to social distance from you I'm, you're off all my social media <laughs> she said no no actually you, we, we want physical distance we should call it physical distancing oh. physical distance social closeness oh that's powerful there's significance <laughs> and meaning <laughs> yeah there's literally, you're right. I think, and the thing is, like, I think we all understood the meaning of social distancing. Like, we knew that it meant actual yeah. physical distancing. To say it like that, I think, maybe puts the significance back on what we need instead of what we, the, the do instead of the don't, which is always how we're supposed to, to give rules. We learn that as teachers right away, and you've told me that yeah. as a parent, too. You know, instead of saying don't run, yeah, ask them to walk. Yeah, stay on the sidewalk. Physical distance, social closeness. Because it's so true. We're not socially distant. We're socially close with our social media. And eh, social media does not make you socially close. But inter- in- intentional conversations do. And those can be through the internet. That's true. One place in our relationship that I know that there was a disconnect in, in meaning versus significance has happened through my going to college. And that is... Um, the way that I have talked about home. Oh, yeah, because your meaning of home has changed. And there were a lot of times through college and then moving to New York where there were differences to me. Like for a while it was hard when I came to New York to say home instead of my apartment, you know, because um, home was California. But then other times I, you know, I would say like, ah, oh, my childhood home, which is your house. Uh, and as I know, especially when I was in college, I remember there being a lot of like emotions come up to, when we would talk about mm-hmm. those things or when I would just mention them, mm-hmm. because it seemed like I put a lot less significance in that transition than you did, where I might say, oh, I just really miss home and mean my college dorm. Mm-hmm. And it would really hurt you. Yes. And I didn't think about it. Yeah, that is definitely the parents letting go. I'm opening up my hands here, releasing you into the big wild world. Because you're right, the significance that I placed on the word home was this location, this address. And it's hard to let go and see the family has changed and your home is somewhere else. My my most recent experience with that I'm I'm sad about I'm telling you now that I'm I'm sad about it because I didn't mean it to come out this way. I didn't notice the significance until after I said it, which was when you and I were in Virginia just a couple months ago. Hmm. I was talking about a friend who had gone to his parents' house, his childhood home, hmm. um, and was like, hey, are you coming back? And I commented to you, haha, isn't that crazy? Like, no, I'm not coming back. There's nothing for me there. <laughs> And there was just this little flicker on your face, and it was so different from six years ago when it, I think when you would have um, been more much more emotive about the way you were feeling about it. But it was this little flicker of like, "Oh, that hurts," and then you recovered and took it in stride. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I said it, I was like, "Oh, 
I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it that way. Like, I didn't mean it to have such significance for you to say there's nothing for me there. Like, how terrible. <laughs> Which is not how I meant it. I, I love you and I love our family and I love spending time together. I just couldn't fathom taking out my whole life for five or six months of time, which is what this has turned into, to like start a, you know, a job in a new Trader Joe's there and like not have a car and borrow everything. And that seemed like too much of, like, I don't have any friends there. I have one friend. My, my, my whole, right. My, the depth of my current like life and support system is in New York. So I'm going to come back to New York. Is what I meant. Yeah. But what I said was, yeah. there's nothing for me there at home where you are, <laughs> which is terrible. And I'm so sorry. So to backtrack, oh, well, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, he's like, reverse that. Gene Hackman, the first one, to just say, uh, eliminate the word nothing, because that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. Reverse it. My day-to-day routine and livelihood and how I am in space which is true yeah because we in our house of four people here residents on this property um are we have our own space and the way you exist in your space and and even the way your middle sister exists in her space were you to come back into our space right now all of us would it would be like this huge accordion adjustment of where we are physically in the household because be a huge change you your space and the volume I would say of you in your space or the volume of your middle yeah. sister in her space would be different than the volume of us in our space and even <laughs> in our house now there's one person that by virtue of what she does has to be louder um just plain music louder but not even that loud but it's different than the rest of us so yeah that would be different that would be a a big adjustment and I do but I have a lot more peace about it right now so I think it's the first change and it probably goes back to what we have talked to about many times in this podcast is the concept of grieving and the stages the stages of grief and so like like um denial and anger and Mm. bargaining and I'm forgetting one and acceptance. (laughs) I always forget one. I think all of big changes in life involve stages of grief. That's a, that's a like very real, real world example in our relationship of things where if I had said that to anyone else, I could have said the exact same, same words about like, there's nothing really for me there. I'm going to stay in New York. And uh, it would would have had the exact same meaning as it did with you, but it would have had a lot less significance. Yeah. I would say if you were not able to move to the place where you live now, you might feel different. True. I would have come home. If That's you were quarantined true. in Long Island City like you lived last year, I think you might have been. I would have. Yeah, you're right. I, I could There's probably no get a job at Trader Joe's in California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. But you have close community. You have physical proximity in your apartment. And I I think that's the main thing. But I have learned about myself that I really just need two good friends. And there you have it. And here they are. (laughs) In physical proximity. (laughs) In, yes, in classic introverted fashion. 
Yes. My friend at, I have a couple friends at Trader Joe's that are so surprised that I'm an introvert. Because I do exude a lot of energy. But they don't, they don't see you 24-7. There's a difference between, like, yeah, there's a difference between gregariousness and, like, good, like, social, social acclamation and mm-hmm. deep friendships. I've had people say that to me before. I've had people just say, wow, the energy and the, like, volume and the light that turns on in you when you are in different situations is crazy compared to the way you are most of the time and I'm like yep I have that for this period of time is that this window and then I need to go back into my turtle shell (laughs) to regroup right yeah both are gifts you just everything in moderation well I think that interesting part of meaning and significance for little people though is often seen more in facial expressions and body language yes for kids yes because I definitely remember as a when you when I was a child when I was a child looking at my mom in the car and my mom might have had the meaning on her face that she had a headache or she was like shopping was tedious right I would look at her and the significance I would take from her facial expression is oh she's mad at me which is characteristic of children. They, yes. Most children up until a certain age are definitely in the egocentric mm-hmm. part of phase of their life. And that's developmental and that's fine. And we, we grow and change. That is standard. And then if you are delayed in understanding that, that, oh, that person has their experience in their world and I'm separate, that also can be reduce hypersensitivity that um, I'm not sure everything that's going mm. on in your world. You created a, a physical communication with me and my sisters as kids to stop us from immediately thinking, ugh, they, like it's about me. Oh. Which was the I love you sign in sign language. Oh, yes. Every time that you were in a conversation with an adult or something, and we were like, mom, mom. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> It's so easy for the either us to never stop badgering you yeah. or to like dissolve into tears or into self-doubt because you aren't paying attention to us. Yes. And that is 100% a you mean something, which is just give me a sec, I'm talking, and us adding the significance to it, yes. that it even was significant at all. So instead, every time you put your hands up in the I love you sign... It told us, and we had this like formative conversation first, and I'm sure many times to remind us, I love you, I hear you, you're important, I will answer you when I'm like when there's a break in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And that was a really good way to recalibrate the significance of the situation that it's like not really a big deal and to affirm us in a moment to so that you, I mean, I guess you were teaching us to not be so egocentric. Yes, that that was brilliant. Brilliant. That piece was. Of parenting. I will thank God <laughs> for that brilliant idea. Thank you, God. I give you all credit and glory for my bright ideas. And different parents have different ways to do that. Like Jillian in Brooklyn, hers is that her um, the, one of the kid will put a hand on your hand, mm. and you're just supposed to put your other hand on top of their little hand to say, I know you're there. The exact same thing. I see you. I hear you. I'll, I'll yes, get you in a minute. That's yeah. powerful. I like that. That's physical connection, too. That's really powerful. I like that. That is, and that's what people need. Yeah. They need to know that I see you 
and I will give you my attention, but I have some my world going on here too, and it, it's in it's in t- conversation with this other human being. That's super powerful. We kind of lose that, and both of those things as adults. I was just gonna say both of those things are um, symbols that feel more gentle, yes, and kind than just like holding up the finger for like wait a second, right? Which is I think what we do as adults, but that's always a little bit like you're a nuisance, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Yes, what's the next significance of that finger? Which finger are you right. holding up? Yeah. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Well, it's been fun to think about meaning and significance in literature and in the Bible, which is another piece of literature, and in uh, real life and in all oh, ages. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it because when you mentioned it yesterday, I, I was not really convinced. I was like, I don't really know. What that mean? I hadn't couldn't think about it immediately, but this is totally relevant to this time when we're in even close quarters, closer quarters, and and figuring out as how a, to communicate as parents. Parenting an adult, I have to change the meaning of words based on what your meaning is, because you are infusing new meaning into it. So there's the word home, and yeah. uh, that its its meaning is moving and changing and dynamic. So my significance that I place on it. And it always needs to be checked, which is like the beauty of relationships. Can we check? Like right. you said, misunderstandings are all about meaning and significance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like the idea of recalibrating significance. Yeah. The technically meaning doesn't change because it's a definition. Mm-hmm. Um, although in this case, like, yeah, like the, if the, defini- the definition of home is... The, the resting place where you feel like safe and are rejuvenating. But my location of, so that's changed, but my location of home has changed. Yeah. Anyway, but to recalibrate the significance, no matter what the meaning is, might be sort of the, the takeaway. Like that's the action that we sometimes have to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love you. Still has the same meaning. I love you, Mom. And I give always. you a, a long distance. Always it has great significance. <laughs> a long distance hug and high five. Thanks for being um, okay. socially close to me, even though we're physically distant. That's right. Physically distant, socially close. Bye. Love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hug and a High Five. Yep, thanks for listening. If you'd like to suggest a topic, ask us a question, or share your mom-daughter story, please email us at podcast at gmail.com. That's hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com. All words, hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com. Have a great week.